Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Hello, 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 and welcome to Defending in Numbers, the football podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong, a pretender. I know nothing. I know nothing. But I tell you who does know something. Hot take, Jake the Snake Entwistle. Jake, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. It's good to be back. And I'm seeing you for the first time post-surgery. Post-surgery. So and I'm a new man. You're going to be a, a, you're going to be doing kickboxing videos on Instagram with speedy recoveries like Absolutely. Zlatan. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, snails don't recover like humans. <laughs> and in the other corner of the room, we've got the return of the big dog in the yard, Adam Boltwood. Thank how you are you? Rob, it's great to be here. It's great to be back. The big dog in the yard. <laughs> What just, intro, what a lovely just, intro. Just you. wincing. Yeah, just cringing en- slightly. Enjoy it. Thank you. It's better than snail. I'll take big dogs. Yeah, take, exactly. Yeah. Big dogs don't recover like humans or lions it's or snails. True. It's very true. <laughs> and to you out there, you are probably listening on some kind of thing that you listen to podcasts on, which may be Deezer, it may be iTunes or all the other places where you find your podcast. Don't forget, share it, subscribe, review it, do all the good stuff. In fact, do it right now while we move on to the first section, Week by Numbers. The Week by Numbers. All right, then. Where better to start than the old Manchester derby and the number 456, which is the number of days between Man United's two defeats at home to Man City. That's the only defeat they've had at home for for all that time. And it's both of them bookended. By Manchester City, uh, unbeaten for 40 games in between the two. And frankly, it looked pretty comprehensive, didn't it, Boltwood? Yeah, I think it did. I think, um, uh, you know, now it's as well 14 games unbeaten for, for Manchester City in a single season. It's the record. Yeah, wins. yeah it's I, wins as well. It's not just yeah, unbeaten. Yeah. And only Arsenal matched that, but of course that was over two seasons. So I think it's it's very impressive for Manchester City. I think it is quite embarrassing for Manchester United, though. I think, as you say, it was uh, pretty comprehensive. The scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect how dominant City were. And I think, you know, questions are, are being asked now of Jose Mourinho. Um, I, I was sort of trying to look up last night how expensive the squads were uh, of both teams. And I think Manchester City's is only £63 million pounds more expensive than Manchester United's. And yet, Pep Guardiola has got them playing this incredible football so I don't think you know Mourinho can can have that excuse of the financial benefit or the financial advantage that Manchester City have they're obviously two different managers with two different approaches and yes that's worked for Mourinho in the past and it still can be effective but I think it's embarrassing for, for the rivals Manchester City to come to Manchester United to come to Old Trafford and play like that and essentially play Manchester United off the park so I think it's a, it, was a, it was a bad day all in all for Manchester United a mere, a mere £63 million pounds difference One, Jake what is it, that Kevin De Bruyne now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kevin De Bruyne and a, and a bit, isn't yeah. it? But I I completely agree with that. It was it was sort of the manner of the manner of the defeat. It was like that's what's got the the backlash, hasn't it, from mm. the Man United mm. faithful and and the pundits that are watching on. They just couldn't believe that. I saw someone making the comparisons like it. it Fabian Delph was at left back, and like Fernandinho is a good player, but he's not that Barcelona side that played Man United off the park in that Champions League final. Pep, I think Pep referenced that being one of his most dominant ever displays and that was when you watch that back Barcelona flooded forward and 
And Man United at that time, obviously not under Jose Mourinho then, they had to sit back and they couldn't deal with it. But this Man City side, for as good as they are, it was almost giving them too much respect. Like yeah. Pogba was a massive miss. He is, he is Man United's one player that sort of is on par with those Kevin De Bruyne, that, that classy... Makes them tick. Yeah, that classy player they've got in midfield. So he was a big miss. But the fact that Man City's goalies having more touches than any of Man United's attackers in the game. Edison mm. had 41 and and he made an incredible double save. He sort of took the spotlight from De Gea. Didn't a little he? a little bit like the and this is this is unpo- I'm holding my hands up <laughs> yeah. in the studio here. Yeah, yeah. A bit of an unpopular opinion, but a little bit like the De Gea one in that I think it was a bad finish more than it was. Yeah. I think think (laughs) Sanchez should have scored last week more than it was a great save and I think Lukaku definitely should have scored this week more than yeah like you say it was literally down the old trachea I think that that speaks (laughs) to what you're saying though Jake in terms of there are vulnerabilities there for Manchester City and they they almost scored at the end there to equalise at Manchester United which I think would have been snatching a point but I think overall in the game Manchester United were were too passive you know they had to win this game and really to, to close the gap to make this a real title race and they didn't really show any sign that they were willing and could do that. What do you think about this? All the talk of the squads they've inherited as well, because you were talking mm. about the the tiny sort of difference of the yeah. the money. I think people are saying, you know, if if Pep Guardiola had inherited the squad that Jose Mourinho had, like, how successful do you think they could have been with with that team? But it's, it's about so Pep Guardiola inherited a side that was. Their defence, Man City's defence that he got was woeful and we saw that last season. It still kind of is. Yeah, it is. But the, the, again, he fixed those problem areas where uh, we've mentioned it before, like the fullbacks have become so key. And the fact that Fabian Delph has been used in this left-back role, he's not even going to be the main guy. He's, he's so been northern well. sounding as well. I, I'm so shocked <laughs> every time he comes out for the in- got- interview, he's the most northern sounding man on earth. <laughs> he's got the strong Brummy accent, is not he? <laughs> but it's. I don't think, like Jose Mourinho, again, he wanted... One of his big targets in the summer was apparently even Perisic, and they've missed that sort of all the, the, these Jose Mourinho players that are six foot four plus and, and big. But <laughs> yeah. Perisic is the one when you watch him for Inter Milan, he's been incredible this season as well. Um, he recently got his first hat trick in a while, and he's this both footed winger that can go either way, but can also win an aerial duel and and take a player on. And they've missed that. They've sort of their left-hand side where they've got Rashford and Martial. If Pep Guardiola inherited those two, could you imagine mm. what they were doing in a front three? What they would be doing now, he would be playing them both at the same time. Mm. And you f- I feel sorry for Rashford and Martial because I rate them very highly. But at the moment, again, it's Jose Mourinho's style, so we can't yeah. just say, don't play that way. He's won trophies. It's not about that. But mm. for a player like Marcus Rashford, you must look across and think, what would it would be like to have 60% possession every game and I get to take <laughs> players on and get a few shots on goal? Rashford showed he was clinical and punished the one mistake, again, by Delph, who isn't the left-back. But Man United didn't really have any other mm. shots other than that. I think it's the same for Lukaku. You know, all the stats that are doing the rounds. He scored one goal in his past nine games. Is it? Considering how yeah. how good the start he had, that's, that's a very poor return. But if they did switch managers, you know, if Guardiola had Lukaku, if he had Rashford, as you're saying, I think you'd see a massive improvement because it is down to to the way Manchester United play under Mourinho. Would that's they it. be better with Ibrahimovic on the pitch? The way they play. Because uh, he's basically like they, they want Lukaku, who what was it? The Manchester the geezer, the, is more than a lump. What right? did the yeah. City technical staff allegedly say about Zlatan? This came out last night. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, like he's not moving around any much anymore. Yeah, he's not he? moving around. He's like, yeah, you're, you're good, but you're not moving around. I, 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 he's got a real lack of ability, obviously, because he's, what, 35 now? Is he 36? Mm. I don't think that would necessarily improve them. And I, I think, again, it goes back to the system that Mourinho's playing. It doesn't suit someone like Lukaku. I don't think it's necessarily playing to his advantages right now. It's not benefiting him in sort of, you know, helping him rediscover his form. And I don't think if you just switched in Zlatan, it would necessarily improve it significantly. Yeah, I think I think they need someone like Lukaku up front because he's got pace. Mm. The way when you play a counter-attacking team, you need an outlet. So if if they've got Slatan Ibrahimovic, you're lumping it up to him. You've either got to play two people really close to him, and that's when you start playing a three-five-two, or a three-five or a three-four-three, and you've got Lingard and Rashford mm. or Martial and Rashford behind. But they they need that outlet. You saw in the Manchester derby, Lukaku was the only one. Yeah, it was like two banks of four, uh, two uh, four and a five, and then Lukaku miles away. I think as well. So I feel know. sorry for him. Yeah. He's he's getting blasted for his big game. Uh, like it's 313 minutes per goal against big six size but he's played in teams where they're not setting up for score he's getting one chance and if he misses he gets slammed for it he has as well in his defence you know I think he was crucial to the way Manchester United beat Arsenal last week he wasn't directly involved with an assist necessarily or a goal but I think he did contribute to yeah. the victory he got the assist against Spurs as well at Old Trafford when he got they, two assists against Man City technically <laughs> yeah technically I mean what's everyone chatting about they, yeah. they, he's proven wrong man. <laughs> alright let's move on to the next number and that's number five and let's talk about the Champions League draw we've got five teams from England in it uh, and the draw was Juventus have got Spurs so I, I don't know why I said we, we've got the English teams and then start with Juventus it's Spurs <laughs> have got Juventus Man City have got Basel yeah. uh, or Basel <laughs> yeah. boom boom yeah. uh, <laughs> Liverpool have got Porto uh, Man United have got Sevilla and Chelsea have got Barcelona and yeah. there is I think there's a few really decent ties in there and mm. obviously doesn't involve an English team but <laughs> let's not forget PSG versus Real Madrid also got thrown up in there the big yeah. one yeah. Uh, I, I think Probably, looking at it, the tie of the round, the two ties of the round, Chelsea-Barcelona and PSG-Real Madrid. Is that a fair? Spurs-Juventus, I think. <laughs> but yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I'll give yeah. you that. Juventus have some weird record against English teams, don't they? Yeah, so Juventus have been knocked out in each of their last five knockout ties against English sides, which does sort of give me hope as a Spurs fan that, uh, that Mauricio Pochettino can, can knock them out again. Um, you know, the last time Spurs played an Italian side, well, last time they were in the Champions League at this stage was against AC Milan. Thanks to big Peter Crouchy, we beat them 1-0. So I think, you know, it's bodes, it all bodes well. You know, <laughs> History is on Spurs' R- side. Written in the stars. I mean, I think we're going to come on to talk about winter breaks uh, soon, which I think gives Juventus a massive advantage. Um, they're third in Serie A at the moment, but I think by February when the, these ties roll around, they're going to be massively at their peak. Whereas Spurs, you know, are they going to be absolutely exhausted? They're going to be flat on their feet. They've got a really Is tough that a schedule. Spurs fan with an excuse? Three <laughs> no, no, months I'm just before the game. Say, I'm just trying to say, you know, I'm just trying to give it some context. I'm trying to appreciate, you know, Juventus might be in better shape than Spurs, but at the same time, you know, it was confirmed yesterday that Toby Aldevero is going to be back for Spurs in February. I think that could be a massive plus from Richard Pochettino because he's been such a huge miss when he's been injured with his you, hamstring. Injury. You played him in a pre-season friendly, though, didn't you? Didn't yeah. Moussa Sissoko get man of the match? I mean, there's a first time for everything. There is a first time for everything. <laughs> yeah, even a broken, what is it, broken clock right yeah, twice a day. Is, yeah, um, <laughs> Jay, this is, is this the first time there's been five English teams? It must be, right? It's yeah, the yeah. First it's, time. The, it's the first time from any, so it's the first time any nation has had five in the knockout stages. When was the wow. last time we even had four? So that was in 2006, seven. Which that is, long, yeah. So it's been, it's been ages. It was that, it was that era when, like, oh, even big. Arsenal were doing well. Yeah, um, in the Champions League. Yeah. So it's a funny coincidence that they're not in it this season. We get five in the knockout round. Yeah. But 
Um, that that Chelsea Barcelona tie, I think, in terms of the English ones, is is the the standout one. And there were there was all the stats going around before the draw was made that it was like a forty percent likelihood that they would draw each other mm. just based on because Chelsea are the only English team that finished second in the end. Mm. Um, so you knew that one was coming out in the hat, and it's there's so many numbers behind that one to make it exciting. Obviously. Not give even me just, something. We're defending yeah, numbers, exactly. Jake. Yeah. So give me, give me some numbers. So Chelsea and Barcelona are meeting for the sixth time in the knockout stage, mm. which is um, only bettered by Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, who are obviously the the parents of the Champions League. Almost they're they're the they're the perennials in it. But the one that is sort of giving Chelsea fans hope because obviously they're a bit up and down at the moment. Uh, recently, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, recently they looked good against Huddersfield recently, but again. They struggled against West Ham. But the one stat that's giving everyone hope is that Messi has faced Chelsea eight times and not scored a goal. And that's his worst record against I feel like club. this is written Dude. for Lionel Messi. So eight times and he's only even, he's won one game. So it's one mm. win, five draws, two um, and two defeats. So yeah, maybe there's another Torres moment brewing for that one. But mm. that Chelsea-Barcelona tie... Chelsea is set out mm. to do well against the possession side. They, when yeah. they play best when they are counter-attacking. You know, and you know Conte is going to... I've seen a lot of jokes about what f- players he's going to play and what formation, but you know it's going to be Murata, Hazard behind him, and then Bakayoko, Kante, mm. Fabregas, maybe even Drinkwater in there to be... and just hit him on the break. I'd say, out of out of all the English teams, Juventus-Spurs is a bit of a... It's a bit of a... Maybe. Depends but I would yeah. say, it's other than great. Chelsea, I think they would all expect to go through. Juventus oh, Juventus are <laughs> not the team they have been for the last few years. Um, yeah. I feel like... Well, so they were finalists last year, though, weren't they? Yeah. So it's it's just... It's whether Juventus... Again, in, in Syria, it's been really odd because they're one of the top scorers in Syria, but they're not top for once. They mm. drew recently with Inter Milan, which suits Inter Milan down to a ground. So... Yeah. Yeah, whether Juventus find that little spark, uh, Dybala hasn't scored in the Champions League yet. They, they yeah, they haven't had a great Champions League campaign either. No. Have they? They've struggled a little. Well, bit. obviously, yeah, they finished second to to draw Spurs in the first place. Yeah, so. as opposed to Spurs, who came top of the group of death. Yeah. Fuming, absolutely fuming. I think I think Spurs have got the the beat of Juventus this month. Maybe that's just my optimism as a Spurs <laughs> fan. But I think yeah, I, I think every team, English team is going to go through apart from maybe Chelsea. I think Barcelona probably got. You them. reckon? Mm. Okay, well, let's move on to the next number. 27.1 million, and that's the wage bill of Burnley. According to James Tucker. No, James Ducker (laughs) in the Telegraph. James Tucker. Uh, They're in the Champions League places. What's happening over at Burnley? It's mental, isn't it? Um, Incredible stuff, uh, I think. Tough place to go. It is, I think, you know... Last season, famously, it was their home form which um, sustained them, that sort of kept them in the league, as it were. Now that their away form as well is fantastic as well. So what Sean Dyche is doing is really impressive. I think, however, that uh, it's all based on their defence. You know, they've got an absolutely incredible defence. They've kept eight clean sheets this season, only Manchester United have more. I think the only worry for them is going to be they've got less goals than they've played games. Essentially, you know, of the eight home wins they've got this season, seven of them are one-nil wins. Last night's winner against who was it against Watford wasn't it no no no, no. Burnley was Stoke Burnley Stoke that's against it against Stoke it came in the 86th minute 89th minute I think very late on mm. so I think but that's the pedigree of champions Boltwood yeah. I think it suggests <laughs> that as good as this is I, I don't necessarily think it's sustainable for Burnley to keep this up in the, in the second half of the season I don't want to be too negative though because I mean we all want to see Sean Dyche at 
the camp now next year taking on Barcelona but yeah I, I just don't think it's going to last as impressive as it has been from mm. them well let, let's compare them to so Burnley are fourth wage bill as I said 27.1 million pounds uh, Liverpool one point behind them 208.3 million pounds Arsenal two points behind them 199.4 million pounds mm. Spurs three points behind them Plucky Spurs. 100 million pounds. So yeah. Cost, they're making... Punch above their weight, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. Unbelievable. I think uh, whatever happens, mm. really, you have to look at how... What about how far wrong can the the Burnley season go from here? Yeah, do you know what I mean, yeah, like, massive that, success either way. Yeah, I mean, I've just said it's unsustainable, and you know, uh, I think it is. But at the same time, could they do it? Could they almost do a Leicester in that qualifying yeah. for the top four? Is it would it's, be an absolutely humongous achievement? Mm. I mean, it would be incredible. The the, th- the thing is with those, um, yeah. So that those eight home wins, the the seven in 2017 that have been by one nil. That's like that's classic Burnley, but. There, there are sort of worrying numbers behind it and they're worrying and then you look at the flip side and you think, oh, well, um, because they've actually con- they've allowed the most shots per game against them mm. uh, in the Premier League. And I, th- I think we've spoken that about before. It might have been used in a stat showdown. but So they, they average 16.4 shots against them per game. But when you start looking at the expected goals against and how many goals they should be conceding, they're only they're 11th mm. in terms of that and they've got... Um, depending where you look again the models vary but it's around 2021 and that's the same as Manchester United so the way they're just camping on the edge of their box or their hyper defensive play people are just having to pepper them from far out and obviously that's not that's not a sustainable way to score goals so looking at the numbers of Burnley you think oh wow they're going to lose 4-0 one day the Mm. amount of shots but then you realise that Sean Dyche has set them up in a way that restricts teams uh, yeah. the Arsenal game recently Arsenal had a lot of shots but they needed a 90th minute penalty to win yeah, yeah. so there's there's incredible stuff behind them and as you said 16 goals scored is very worrying yeah um, everyone else in the top 10 and that's with the game in hand obviously because we're recording this on the Wednesday before the next round of fixtures everyone else in the top 10 has got 20 plus goals yeah um, but they've only conceded 12 and but only the Manchester clubs have less than that. Yeah. At the same time, I think the only top ten side that haven't played yet is Manchester United. I think I'm right in saying that. And yet this is their record. So I think you know yeah. it's uh, hugely impressive. Well, fourth, fourth in the Premier League, Burnley. Fourth in La Liga, Real Madrid. Same points. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're equivalent. Yeah. Well, talking of uh, sweet defenses. That's right, <laughs> sweet defenses. Let's move on to the next number, which is 122, and that's the number of clean sheets Atletico Madrid have kept in La Liga in 227 games under Diego Simeone. The man is, let's face it, a lunatic, <laughs> and clearly puts the fear of God into his defence. Um, and you know, it looks like it's happening again. Atletico probably not title challengers this year, but Again, an almost impossible team to beat. Mm. How good is Diego Simeone in terms of dragging the absolute best mm. out of what he's got in front of him? So I, th- I think, I think they could be title challengers this year, mainly because of the way they dropped out of the Champions League. So mm. that obviously doesn't bode well for him. He set a club record unbeaten run in La Liga, nineteen games, but they were in a tough group, but they didn't manage to get out of it. Now they're in Europa League. Whether he goes towards that and looks to win that or or then puts all his eggs in the league basket is yet to be seen. Mm. But I think there's no there's no doubting that he's obviously a good manager. Like mm. that side to keep that many clean sheets 
Um, they've had four, they've had forty one nil wins in La Liga, which is <laughs> God. which is twenty seven, <laughs> which is nearly thirty percent of their wins under Simeone in that time. So again, he's got a formula and it works. Mm. Um, they've always had an incredible goalkeeper under Simeone. They've had Courtois, now Jan Oblak, who I their recruitment in general seems yeah. to be pretty good because they're always yeah. picking up these quality strikers. I, I, like off the bat, top of my head, you think your Griezmanns, Diego Costas. Your Torres is the first time round. Falcao, Aguero, Aguero yeah, of course. So that, that I mean, that's just up front. Yeah. Like you say, they've always got an incredible goalkeeper. So yeah, I think this is it. Goes to what Jay was saying there. I think their defense is incredible, but as you're pointing there about their recru- recruitment, they've got Diego Costa coming back in January. So I think that's going to be a massive yeah. impact for them. As good as they've been defensively, Antoine Griezmann has struggled so far this season. Costa coming in I think they could be a real force in the new year and I think they could be competing for the league title as well they'll, mm. they'll get back to that that 4-4-2 when they've mm. got two like at the moment they're sort of Griezmann like is, is an incredible player but he's not that out and out striker they pair yeah. him with Gamero who's yeah. sort of like the Liga's version of Jamie Vardy in a sense that he'll run in behind all the time uh, and rely on Griezmann to link up with him but with Diego in the jungle yeah. <laughs> with Diego Costa they'll have that sort of Griezmann can then do both and rely on Diego Costa to be sort of the battering ram yeah. and create space for him um, but again the Griezmann whether he stays at Atletico there's a lot of interest in him I, maybe I like going the to like comparisons of you know Gamero's the, the Liga Vardy <laughs> you've got Deitch's basically yeah, yeah. I, 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 love, I love the Simeone. idea of, of Simeone being an Argentinian Deitch yeah uh, Donde <laughs> Donde is still a defence <laughs> so they're doing well and I think I think they've got uh, they've got Vitolo coming back as well. Who there was a transfer scandal in the summer. So a scandal, Jake. Yeah. Why was it a scandal? Well, it was because he signed a contract and then said actually no, and now he's gone on loan to avoid oh dear. the tra- Atletico Madrid transfer ban that they had. Presidents wanted to file stuff against him, so so, so he's so, going to be so coming scandalous. back. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> he's going to be coming back with a, under a dark cloud. But they're getting players in January that they'll need. And I think because they are out of the Champions League, they could be Barcelona's closest contenders, yeah. consist, like sustained pressure mm. in La Liga this season. And, and you never know, we might end up seeing him in the Premier League with Sean Dyche. <laughs> I hope Incredible. so. Don't they the Premier League title? Or vice versa, Dyche could go to La Liga. Yeah? <laughs> you imagine Real Madrid next. All right, and the next number is the number one. And Boltwood, we're going to talk about your friend, Mauricio Pochettino, or should I call him Mafraudio Fraudatino? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's the, wow. That's the Ooh. number of wins away from home against the Premier League Big Six since joining Spurs. One yeah. win in 17 games yeah. against the Big Six away. That, to me, seems like the reason you aren't winning anything. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're really good and you win that thing every year. It's like, oh, they've got the most points in the calendar year. You've won that for the last, like, three years. Yeah. But you haven't won any silverware, Boltwood. And I think we that the, might be why. We won the putting the pressure on trophy two years ago. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fine. The big one. Um, it's, yeah, it's a good point you make. It's not a great record away against the top six. However, I'd argue that, you know, it's been Spurs' home form that has propelled them into title challenges in those past two seasons this season obviously is a different situation yes. at Wembley yeah. uh, we've dropped more and points at Wembley already you've got a new stadium as well yeah I, I think that's a different story I think Wembley is is a difficult uh, difficult factor to contend with we've dropped more points at Wembley this season already than we did in the entirety of last season we're incredible White Hart Lane so I mean away from home again at City this weekend I don't think 
I don't think the omens bode well looking at that stat. I think, you know, as we mentioned earlier, 14 Premier League wins in a row, which is a record. Could it be 15 this week, potentially? I think Spurs are struggling, as I mentioned earlier, without Toby Aldevero. Uh, they average 2.1 points per game with him uh, compared to 1.6 points without him. And obviously Spurs' form defensively has been very poor in the last couple of weeks without him. We've got one win in our last five. So I'm not massively optimistic um, with him in the team, you know, uh, playing a back three. We look a much more solid, much more high function unit than we do when we go to back four, which is what we're currently playing without him. We're also missing Victor Wanyama as well. I think adds a real steal in midfield that, um, you know, we're just not the same, t- same team without him. However, you know, I'll, I'll try and be optimistic and say, you know, we've beat Nicosia, we've beat Stoke <laughs> as well, 5-1. We're, we're gaining momentum. I know yeah. they're not at the same quality. But, you know, I think Spurs' players, we're, we're trying to play ourselves back into form, especially attacking players. Um, Christian Eriksen, Ali, etc. haven't performed in recent weeks and the goal-scoring burden mm. has been left on Harry Kane. Kane now is, is back among the goals and he's back from his injury. Hyung-Min Son as well is performing really well. So I think there's reasons for, for potential optimism. So, Apoel Nicosia and Stoke are one thing, yeah. but and Disperse... We're, we're, just, we're recording this on the morning of the Brighton game. We're going to beat them as well. It's yeah. three in a row. It's three in a row. Uh, so, those and possibly Brighton. <laughs> That's one thing. What about Man City in God mode? Do yeah. uh, Spurs have the capability to beat them? Well, surprisingly, I think this could be the sort of game they need because their wins this season uh, against big teams have been against teams that love possession. Mm. Uh, two really good performances against Real Madrid where Real Madrid had most of the ball. Real Madrid pass accuracy was 90% over the thing. Possession was probably closer to 60 than it was 50. Um, and against Liverpool, they did the same thing. They just absolutely blitzed them on the counter-attack. Adam mm. mentioned uh, Son there, who's been great since he's come into the team. And, and he is the most important when they play this heavy counter-attacking style. He's the one real player they've got with pace, I'd say, in that front line. Yeah, 100%. Deli Alli is, is sort of a ghost in the fact that he, he'll roam in the final third and, and pick up. Again, uh, he's one player that, yeah, hasn't been, hasn't had the same output in terms of goals and assists this season, but mm. he has be, he's got a couple of little clutch assists in the last few games, and I think that's the stuff. Clutch. Yeah, I, the type I like of, that term. That's the type of player he is, though. He's Deli Alli, I think, is very unique talent in the way that there's all this argument that he's not a midfielder not a forward mm. he floats around and while Christian Eriksen is clearly the playmaker Deli Alli is doesn't create 10 chances a game but he'll create one chance and it'll be the assist mm. so when you play a counter-attacking side as a counter-attacking side you've got a player that can deliver a final ball when it matters he's missed a couple of chances so this is I'm sort of he's sort of not helping me out here but I believe that he can suit this style and then you've got Son who we saw against Liverpool can just fly up the pitch Mm. Harry Kane this season has got much better at carrying the ball himself Mm. Uh, he'll love it if Mangala plays because Mangala is quite clumsy Um, Eloquim and the quim yeah the quivering quim (laughs) yeah so he will be quivering if Harry Kane's up against him Uh, who's also chasing that calendar year goal scoring record as well he is indeed he's not going to break against City no uh, but before the Brighton game he's on 33 Alan Shearer's 36 I think as Jake says I think potentially there's vulnerabilities that Tottenham could take advantage of it's going to be a very interesting tactical matchup between Pochettino between Guardiola I think hopefully you know uh, the way Manchester City play there'll be space behind Kyle Walker for Human Son to go into on that left hand side I think that could be an area where Spurs can target Manchester City 
but yeah, I'm not massively. Spurs, yeah, Spurs have actually scored two goals against City in the last three Premier League in each of the last Premier League meetings. Good I'm, I'm feeling good every time Jake opens his mouth. I'm feeling pretty good. So there, there. As I said, I think this could be a game that it's it allows Pochettino to withdraw himself again. Mm. Um, the Wembley, you mentioned the home form being one of the factors that saw mm. Spurs title push. I'd agree, but because of this record. I also think the fact that they absolutely pummeled every minnow last season. Yeah. They beat Leicester, what was it, 7-0, 7-1. <laughs> and then this season they lost. I yeah. think that's the one that's tripping them up. So now they need to turn this stat around. Mm. He needs to get a result away to Man City. It's unlikely, but I think the style of play and the formation that he will play could dictate that mm. there could be goals in this game and, and Tottenham could the, be the neutral could be be. behind give me a little prediction then is the is the milk going to be flowing for Man City at the end of the game <laughs> or is it hmm uh, is it 4-2-1 wins they've had in a row yeah Manchester I think it <laughs> it's going to be 2-1 again um, but it's going to be 2-1 Spurs Oh, okay. Oh, no, wow. no dairy, no dairy for the Man City lads. No what about you, Jake? I, I think Spurs will continue um, their habit that I just mentioned of scoring a couple of goals against Man City. Man City have looked a bit shaky, but not played the best teams or teams that don't even want to attack. So I think it will be high scoring, and I think it will be three two to Man City. Mm. My it's going to be three pints dropped for Man City. Sorry, you can listen to that horrible cringe fest <laughs> on Deezer uh, half five on Saturday that's Man City versus Spurs we've got it on the Deezer app this is a Deezer podcast you should have the Deezer app yep. and if you're out and about get it in your ears get it in your ear holes all that sweet flowing milk of the Man City success three, pi- three <laughs> pints for God's sake let's move on to the next section I'm embarrassed to ask I'm embarrassed to ask. All right, then. It's it's that time of year where we get the managers moaning that we don't have a winter break yeah. in England. And I don't really know. Like, I, I don't I notice when other t- like countries are on their winter break. How long are these winter breaks? And how much, how much difference do they actually make? Because mm. as far as I'm aware, they're kind of rolled out as an excuse <laughs> about... February time every year by any manager who crashes out of Europe but you know when we were like you said earlier that sort of 2007-2008 when every team in the Champions League semi-finals was English basically yeah. we had we didn't have a winter break there and everything was fine so is this kind of a a recent complaint of managers because English teams aren't as good as they used to be or is it <laughs> a legitimate thing I, I think um, so first of all We'll just say sort of the main leagues that that have it. Uh, obviously, Bundesliga, Liga, Syria, La Liga, and actually SPFL have now got one that was introduced last season. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found quite interesting when I was looking at SPFL these winter Scottish Scottish oh GTFO SPFL <laughs> yeah. So they they've actually got one now. And what I found interesting when looking at these was the fact that they're not actually that long. Yeah, you look at some of them. So Bundesliga is the longest this season. Um, which is 22 days long and it starts on the 20th of December. God, it's like teachers. Then <laughs> then La Liga have got the second longest, um, oh, of the big five leagues anyway. Uh, Liga, I'm sorry, uh, which is 16 days and that starts mm. on the same day. Then Syria have got a post-January winter break, mm. which starts on the 6th and that's 14 days. And La Liga's winter break is only 11 days long. I feel like most of those countries get pretty cold. Spain don't have an excuse. <laughs> 
Where does it get cold in Spain? Nowhere, no really. There's no stats for that. It's there to back no. up your uh, temperature. Assertion. Give me temperature stats. Yeah. Right. Like Scot- <laughs> Scot- on, Jake, Scotland. <laughs> Scotland have a 19 day break, yeah. right? But you know, they, they, I think they pretty much had that anyway because they would get snowed off. Don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah right, sort sure. of forced. They just took that upon itself. That was actually they weren't that keen on it. Uh, there was a lot of sort of. Um, people that didn't want the winter break because it was introduced last season and they said yeah we'll continue it it did well so but that was meant with a bit of a as as much as you can get of a backlash against a winter break but mm. it had that sort of negative approach but yeah I just think 11 days for a winter break La Liga if we're if if, if English managers are clamouring that's that's two fixtures yeah I suppose mm. it's two maybe f- three fixtures in, in the English calendar but still to be, fa- to be fair think, around Christmas it's pretty congested though isn't it yeah isn't it? Like, that's yeah. the thing I think it's uniquely congested over Christmas. I think the fatigue builds up, and you look at that, and you look at the Serie A's break from the sixth of January to the twenty-first of January. Uh, it's fourteen days. So yeah, again, you know, that's two potentially three games off, as it were. Uh, the, as we mentioned earlier, the Champions League ties are on the February the thirteenth. I, I think that's got to have a massive impact really I think Juventus is going to be much fresher the that Italian team is is back. I mean, I'm just trying to get back excuse, back excuse. Excuse. <laughs> three months early but I'm just trying to you know I think it does make an impact at the same time the thing that's always sort of brought up is you know do we really want to give up our New Year's Boxing, Boxing Day all this football it's, yeah. it's great you get to watch all these games etc I think you know it's probably a selfish reasoning I think if it were for the good of you know English teams in Europe you know the World Cup as well coming up next year I think it would be something to look at introducing. I think it does have an impact. I've, I completely forgot. Of course, England managers use it as an excuse as well, course, don't yeah. Oh, yeah, we're never going to win the World Cup. That's we don't why, winter break. That's why we need to keep it. Because if we don't win, we can say it's because of the winter break. And if we do win, we can yeah, say even without a winter break, we've done it. That's how good we are. <laughs> where's my excuse when Spurs crash out of the Champions League if we don't have a winter break? Um, but I think, you know, we, we're, it was mentioned yesterday that the fixture congestion that both Spurs and, and Chelsea can be facing in February. Yeah. Again, you mentioned it there at Christmas, the, the games will pile up. I just think it is it's ridiculous, really, when you think about it. The, the amount of games, the amount of minutes these players have to have to play when, you know, I know they're not huge breaks, 11 days, as you mentioned, in the Liga, mm. but I think it does have an impact. And as well, they're not, they're not going away and just, it's not a winter break in terms of going away and, and doing nothing yeah. a lot of this it's, it's just the games that get taken away <laughs> sit on the sofa yeah, yeah exactly sitting there eating turkey they, yeah. they, they have a lot of teams go and do warm weather training camps and a lot of teams then uh, play friendlies and so you, you're playing games it's not it's a winter break in the fact that you don't have competitive fixtures mm-hmm. and that's about it and they can take their toll the fact that you don't have to think about swapping your team around like Jurgen Klopp recently has been sort of lambasted for his squad selection and yeah. and chopping and changing but he well his excuse and his his reasoning which I agree with will be I've got about 14 fixtures in in 14 days coming up it almost turns out to be like that so you have to swap and and yeah that Merseyside derby they dominated it as he said and that without a penalty no one would have said a thing but I mean, it fell right was, into Big big Sam's hands yeah, Big Sam's was, big sweaty hands there was some news last year I think it was Richard Scudamore was, was talking about bringing in a winter break in the Premier League I mean it's not something you'd have to worry about as a West Ham fan playing in Europe but Jimmy, would you rather have the the, the football over Christmas and, and that festive feast as it were of football or would you rather see English teams potentially have that benefit in Europe I personally or the World Cup. could not care less <laughs> how tired the players are <laughs> or about teams doing better in Europe I'm a football fan I want to see more football um, right. you what know, an England fan as an England fan you're going to the World Cup do you not think that would have an impact no, benefit it won't, six months later yeah but like would you, you think 11 you days up, off your season <laughs> 11 days of, as well 11 days of training 
in like Dubai or something oh, is going to make them win the bloody World Cup. Of course, it's not. Well, it's, I, I'm, yeah. you know. But, well, Germany, Bundesliga have the longest one and they're the best national team right now. So. Boom. Yeah, but that's because they've got really good players. <laughs> so that get a rest. Deli Alley. Uh, not being funny, yeah. but you're like, you can give Phil Jagielka all the winter training in Dubai <laughs> you like. He's still not going to be <laughs> like bloody... Of, well, like, I, I can't even think of a good German player. He's not going to be <laughs> Messer Herzl at the end of it, is right. he? Yeah, if he was Messer Herzl, that'd be if quite If Phil Jagielka turned into one of the best number 10s in world football, um, <laughs> then... Yeah, that would be quite incredible. There's a point to prove it. I'm going to get onto Phil Jagielka's agent. Gonna, I'm going to take him away for winter training camp. You'll see. There's going to be like an inverse Rocky training yeah. montage of Jagielka <laughs> sweating in Does Dubai. It have to be like the, Ger- the German and the English one. Yeah, like yeah, in Rocky yeah, yeah. Ford, it's yeah. got like the, the most obvious Cold War yeah. metaphor yeah. ever. Yeah. It's going to be like, like Germany versus England. It's going to be like the English guy just eating pies in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> and the oh, German God. guy's training really hard. <laughs> oh, nothing like a good stereotype. No, I think, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Or you could, if it's that big a problem, just do the Kevin Nolan and get a red card on the 16th of January. There you go. That's, uh, sorry, 16th of December every right. single year. That's the English win. That is the English winter break. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I think he played for West Ham for three years. I don't, I don't think he ever played a Boxing Day game for us. I think he might have been suspended three or four time. years in a row. Ahead of his time. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Pioneer. He is. He's like one of those sort of sports geniuses, uh, Kevin Nolan. <laughs> That's why they've got him in at Notts County or wherever yeah. he is. Yeah. <laughs> They're all just going to get sent off. They're going to get a match abandoned. Yeah, yeah. Just give the 3-0 wins away. <laughs> all right, then let's move on to the next section. Who's this fella? Who's this fella? Okay, we've been doing a lot of talking about teams in Europe. And I don't want to leave poor old... Jakey Entwistle and his Arsenal, <laughs> beloved Arsenal behind. So let's yes. talk about the team they've drawn in the Europa League. And this comes with a, a Swedish umlaut. And I'm not sure what mm. difference that makes to the O, but I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a guess that it goes Osterund. Osterund. That's pretty good. Yeah? I reckon, yeah? reckon yeah? that's solid. Yeah. Okay, that's bang on. And their manager, Graham Potter, who is the only English manager in Europe. But I don't know who he is. How do I know? Like, when's he going to end up at like West Brom? Well, that's the thing. When they beat Arsenal, he's going to be on the. Uh, that's, that's the thing. It's get him on the plane. That, he he's he's actually been in this job for a while now. I think it was 2010 that he first became Uster and manager, and they were they were in the fourth tier of Swedish football back then. So he's they've undergone an incredible transformation under him, and he deserves massive credit. And I think. This is sort of again we we saw those Champions League ties. They were sort of the fairy tale ones, or at least the Chelsea Barcelona. Everyone wanted wanted that to happen. PSG Real Madrid. This is one that's for English football is going to be really interesting because, mm. as you said, he's the only English manager in European competition. Might be joined by Sean Dyche next year, but <laughs> Don Dyche to Europe. <laughs> he's he's in it and and. Arsenal are the only English team in the Europa League this season, so we, we're carrying the carrying the Premier League's light there. But one thing in particular about this team and, and Graham Potter's team in general is that they were actually founded after Arsene Wenger took charge of Arsenal. Good God. So wow. Talk to me about the history of Oosterund. Oh, well, it's, it's that's 1996. It. <laughs> that's, yeah. it. that's it. They've no history. He's been there for the... Don't um, to their history. He's been there for the most part of it. Um, and he's getting... Lots of plaudits for the fact that he's transformed a lot of players that <clears throat> have been sort of thrown away by the clubs. Their captain was actually um, blacklisted in the in the Swedish league because he was causing so many issues to wow. the clubs that were employing him. And now he's captain of Graham Potter's team. So 
he's got a background in sort of the emotional psychology of 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 management and coaching and stuff and he's he's had a strange career path he retired earlier than he than you would have thought because um and he's he's quoted as saying that people didn't understand his sort of technical abilities or how to get the best out of him and went into coaching and yeah he's been at Osterund for seven seven years now and the fact that they're the current cup holders in Sweden um they just missed out actually Swedish league has just finished so they're going to have one of the longest winter breaks because they actually don't have any fixtures until February pretty much apart from the odd cup game so Graham Potter's done an incredible job here and um playing against Arsenal yeah as the only English manager in, in European competition will sort of be he's the one person that people have been clamoring for in, in the media recently mm. why aren't these English managers getting a chance well mm. here's an English manager that no one's heard of yeah. he's gone away and he's managed seven years yeah it might be in the Swedish division but he's got that experience that apparently you can't get and he's shown his credentials because yeah from fourth tier of Swedish football to yeah. knocking out Incredible. they knocked out Galatasaray in the playoff to get in the Europa League they they were level on points with Bilbao in their Europa League group but became second uh, based on head to head so that journey is incredible and I'm 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 so excited to see what they can do mm. uh, against Arsenal to see them knock out Arsenal yeah. it's, so, so it's one thing you know managing in Sweden being like the Fagan of Sweden and taking in a bunch of outcasts yeah. <laughs> sticking Annie oh, and Oliver Twist up front <laughs> does that work in the Premier League where you know you can't necessarily take in all the rejects and make them something special <laughs> I think we have to wait for uh, for Graham to come to the Premier League to prove it. Surely he's going to come over after they've beaten Arsenal, as I say. Once he lands um, the Hawthorns, yeah, I think it is. As Jake says, it does show that the lack of imagination, almost the lack of research on the part of a lot of these Premier League clubs. To to you know, we spoke about last time I was on the podcast. You know, Pulis, uh, Pardew, Allardyce, all the same sort of managers getting the same jobs. Um, but I think it'd be, as Jake says, very interesting to see how Potter gets on in this game, whether they can potentially get a result against Arsenal. And, um, you know, with all this media attention, it'd be very interesting to see if he moves on to another job uh, in the near future. So, Jake, you know, for the, for the sake of English football, you probably want Arsenal to lose this, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, no, I, I hope we absolutely smash them, to be honest. But, but do, do you want to end Graham Potter's romance. career? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Graham Potter, expose him. No, no. I, it's I, just Fagan. I really, Fagan and Sweden. I really... I really I would. I wish they weren't playing Arsenal because it would have been yeah. such a good story to see them go further. But I think Arsenal. I, I mean, it probably will still be a good <laughs> yeah, story yeah. to see them go. Further. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really good oh yeah, but you know what I mean. They're and you not, know what? It's not going to go further. <laughs> but he, he's recently said it's not David and Goliath. It's David and ten Goliaths against Arsenal, and 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 that speaks volumes for it. But that again, the fact that no English clubs are taking the risk. Mm. Uh, when you look at how his team play, um, again, it's very interesting, um, and it you think it would suit English football down to a T because he usually s- goes with a 4-4-2 um, he's heavily reliant on his wingers um, in the Swedish league this season as I said they just finished fifth they were top for dribbles per game so they're a very high octane team and they're trying to carry the ball Sounds forward like a Swedish Mike Bassett uh, yeah <laughs> they're trying to carry the ball forward using wingers um, but they're also very good at creating out good chances because in the Europa League out of out of the 43, 44 odd teams that were in it, in the group stages, they were 37th for shots per game, but then they move up to 12th for shots on target per game. So he's created this side that are relying on their wingers to create chances and, and go plus players, but then create good opportunities, not scoring loads of goals. Mm. Um, so again, you that's a 4-4-2 and a style that's direct, quick, 
that sounds like English football written all over it. So you think, yeah, if, again, if these if these managerial appointments, the the merry-go-round that's just continued, mm. if this next sort of cycle doesn't go well, Graham Potter's 46, 47 years old. He's past it. <laughs> he's ready. He's ripe to be picked, I think. Um, and it's just whether someone wants to make that huge leap from Swedish Premier League to, mm. to English Premier League. And, and I understand that's a huge risk, but you can't argue with someone that's whatever league you're in from taking someone fourth division to a Europa League knockout yeah. stage I'd you've love, got to be a decent manager I'd love to see that happen and I, I'd definitely be an advocate of that but I don't I mean as you said that the risks of, of being relegated etc are so big in the Premier League in, in the Premier League that clubs are scared to, to take that gamble and I think when they do and they talk of instilling a philosophy and a long-term plan. We saw that at Crystal Palace at the start of the season. Frank de Boer coming in, you know, it was all this big talk, and then they lose faith after four games. It doesn't quite work out. So, unfortunately, um, you know, I haven't got much faith that clubs would give Grand Potter a chance or stick with it if they did. Mm. But you never know. Hopefully, once he beat Arsenal, then uh, well, the, might get a chance. The man of the moment, Sean Dyche, he went down yeah. with Burnley, yeah. didn't he? Don't they ask the Sweden? He went down with Burnley, came back up, and now he's and now he's in the Champions League places. So it shows that, like again, there is precedent mm. for for English teams to have a bit of faith and to do well. He Burnley are doing much better than all these managers that all these teams that are swapping managers. So hire Graham Potter, do it. <laughs> That's it. Done. <laughs> Everyone hire Graham Potter. Mm. He could have taken the Sunderland job. Exactly. Just think, he could have given up Europe. <laughs> could have given up Europe to get relegated yeah, from the Championship. I think with it's no fine. home think wins. Are they, right. they st- they're still not won at home, have they? In no, I think Chris. <sighs> Chris, Chris Coleman, Coleman's there, yeah, yeah. He's trying. He's trying. He's Brave trying man. Best. I really like the uh, the Wales Euros song by Manic Street Preachers. There's <laughs> <laughs> a really fun bit in it where they go through all the players' names. And frankly, it was a soundtrack of my Euros. That I support in England. On that, on that completely irrelevant note. Are you in it now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on that completely irrelevant note, let's move on to Stat Showdown. Stat Showdown. Okay then, it's crunch time, or as Jake would call it, referring to Deli Ali's passes, clutch time. No. Probably, I don't, I don't know <laughs> how that works. Yeah, I reckon it's it's big clutch daddy stat time. <laughs> it is indeed. You both, you both know the rules of the stat showdown. Best two out of three. Right. Yeah. Impress me stats. Yeah. It's got to be snappy. It's got to be usable. I, I, I'm not going to sit there in the pub with Jimmy Mc hard-looking bloke and reel off some 16-page piece of information about oh, expected goals, uh, right? Yeah, I'm just thinking I've lost already now you said that. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, let's see how it goes. Jimmy Mc hard-looking face wants him snappy. Oh, I know him, yeah. And I want him snappy. So yeah. impress me. Jake, you're going first. <clears throat> I'll go with my snappiest first. And this is just sort of a... Throwing a spanner in the works. Um, the player that's been dispossessed the most in Europe's top five leagues this season, 58 times, is Lionel Messi. Oh, my God. Oh, sell him. I should just go mistake that contract. Right. Right. Jesus. Getting his, getting his pocket picked yep. by and, the and, Swedish and, Vegas. And dis- dispossessed means he's not even trying to dribble past someone and losing the ball. It's just someone nicking it off his toes. What an idiot. He'll never make it. He never rated him. That's good. I've got a snappy one as well. My cool. snappiest one. Cool, son. Snappiest. Did you know, Rob, that uh, Stoke, of course, going through a bad passion moment, defeated by Burnley in midweek on a Tuesday night, as it were. Did you know? And it was cold. 
Yeah, of course, and windy. Uh, it's been 111 years since Stoke won away from home on a Tuesday night in the Premier League. <laughs> 111 years. That's brilliant. <laughs> that, that's oh, a really yeah. good one. Yeah. Hey, that come on. is. To I be came fair. up with that myself. And both kind of Messi related because the biggest criticism exactly. I could ever have of Messi is he couldn't do it on a cold, wet Tuesday in Stoke. Exactly. It weren't wet this Tuesday, of course, though. It was just cold. No. But either way, that that's a brilliant stat. It's pretty yeah. good. That is the that is the Stoke basher of all stats. <laughs> Incredible. Boltwood. You said I'm one nil up. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying you're one nil up. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm saying Hot you damn. are one nil up. And wow. Now is your chance to go two nil up. You take the front, take the front foot with this one, Boltwood. Oh dear. So uh, I thought it was interesting. Conviction, uh, this weekend, Julian Sperone is going to make his 401st appearance for Crystal Palace. Have made his 400th in midweek uh, in that win over Watford. But did you know? It's been 4,868 days since he made his debut for Crystal Palace. Back in 2004, Rob, very different world. There are no iPhones, no Twitter, no Facebook. Julian Sproni has basically seen the world change, revolutionised, <laughs> in his spell in South London. Oh, I, think I've, I think I've lost it now. Just that little story. To be fair, yeah. The story was nice, but yeah. the stat is like... He's been there for someone, ages. Yeah, someone's yeah. been there for ages. You yeah, could have said 13 years is 4,800 and something yeah. days. Yeah, but, do you know what I mean? No. 2004 iPhones coincidence <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> right here we go um, we talked about the Champions League draw and we mentioned briefly Man City versus Basel um, the one person Basel. that will yeah. be licking his lips at that tie is actually Leroy Sane oh. and the reason why is because he could become the second player ever to score in his first four appearances in the Champions League knockout stages wow yeah but Rob Do you know Julian Sperone has been at Palace for ages yeah. oh f- 13 years is 4,800 days. Irrelevant. Irrelevant garbage. Jake, you, you've tied it up. Yes. Uh, and, and, ju- and just for reference, the first was Kylian Mbappe. Wow. Incredible. It's, it's better, to be fair. Jake, comfortably. Jake has the same relationship with Kylian Mbappe that Mbappe has with Ronaldo. Ronaldo yeah. yeah. He's just got posters of Mbappe all over his wall. Well, that's, that's the poster, the bedroom wall derby, that Champions League time. Mm. Bedroom wall derby. <laughs> that is the least catchy name for me. Yeah. I'll be on Sky Sports, no doubt. All right, Jake, now's your chance. All right, here we Boltwood, go. trying to work out how many, Bloody hell. how many days it's been since England won the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Did you know it's been six million hours? <laughs> um, my last stat is looking ahead to the weekend and Arsenal playing Newcastle. Oh. And Olivier Giroud yeah. has played Newcastle eight times in the Premier League. Good for him. Won all eight and scored eight goals. If he wins his ninth, that is the longest 100% record Arsenal have in their current squad. Wow. Of one team. Yeah. So no one has beaten more teams in a row. I feel like there's an opening here, Boltwood, because oh. that, that was convoluted. I'm going to try my best. Bloody hell. But I don't have much <laughs> Jake, Jake's absolutely <laughs> disgusting. I'm rattled by that. So, I mean, Jake mentioned it earlier. Harry Kane is three goals off of Alan Shearer's record for goals in the Premier League in a calendar year. Before this playing is, this Brighton. Is speaking on Wednesday. Before, before playing, playing Brighton. Brighton before play, you know, before playing all these teams. Um, so he's only three short. I think he's going to do it. But <laughs> the incredible thing is, at 33 goals already, he scored the same amount of goals on his own as Swansea and Burnley, and he scored more goals this year than Crystal Palace with 33, 31, I should say, and West Brom with 30. Boom. Harry Kane is better, basically, than four Premier League clubs, essentially. Yeah. Again. I mean, 
Harry Kane has scored a lot of goals. Fine. Great stat. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Kane scored a lot of goals and then there's a lot of rubbish teams in the Premier League. <laughs> You're so wildly unimpressed with our stats. So I like it. I would, I would say, do you know what, lads, after a, after a really impressive opening salvo from both of you, <laughs> oh, I think you've, you've limped over the line there. But I'm going to say the winner. I'm, just because it's easier. It's easier to... Oh. Oh, look at Jake so upset. <laughs> do you know, do you know, please tell me just I'm because, just by saying Harry Kane's called Just because it's easier to say it. Shocking. To old Flinty McHardface, or whatever I said his name was. Jimmy. Boltwood's Boltwood's taking it home. Papa, oh, come on. That's I'm shocked. That is that's I'm rattled shocked. me I'm that not, one. I'm not exactly sure I deserve it either. But I'll take it. Do you know, know I mean? do you know what is more annoying is because if I had more time there's another angle to the Giroud stat that I want to look for. Yeah, so I'm going to look for it and then tweet it when we win for the night, when he wins for the night time against Newcastle on Saturday and then you'll be like, oh, I wish I, I wish I gave him the credit. J- Jimmy McHardface isn't going to care though. <laughs> if, you know. If. Bol- Boltwood, where can we find your incredibly informative <laughs> uh, information about yeah. time? <laughs> if you want to find some uh, convoluted stats and just me uh, rambling on, then come listen to the Front Free Football Podcast on iTunes and everywhere. Deezer as well. Everywhere. And Jake, how about you? Uh, you can see my Olivier Giroud wonder stats on um, on Twitter, uh, and that's just ja- at Jake Entwistle. Nearly got that wrong, and there's no H, remember? It's never had an H. Not even uh, once. I just, I just feel like if we get the new listeners, then they're going to put the H in, and it's going to be like, yeah. oh, I can't find him. Jake's name has always been the same, as long as it's been called it. That's wow. a stat. And, and that's just, a stat for that's added, that and stat next yeah. time, that is. Wow. Jake is 24 years old, which is <laughs> six million weeks. And, uh, you can find me. <laughs> At Jimmy McHardface or at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. Are you going to change your Twitter? <laughs> I'm right. At Jimmy McHardface. Yes, at yes. Rob Armstrong underscore WH. And you can find this podcast on Deezer, on iTunes, all the places where you mm. find podcasts. Share it, review it. Take it to someone who likes time and the concept of time and breaking down time into hours rather than days. Me. And, and, and years. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see you next week, which is how many hours? What's seven days from now? Mate, give it a rest, yeah. <laughs> I've won. That's all that matters. <laughs> we'll say, see you in, in, in 24 times seven hours next week on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers.